1: Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show.
2: Woody gets a buzz from caretaker win. Brewers pinch the points right on last orders. The only way is an ignominious halftime hooking for Mark Wright. And Zisco Munoz, Watford or Notford. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Matt Davis-Adams here. I'm the host of this weekly dive into all things EFL. I'm joined by one-time winger, now tactical wizard, Adrian Clark. Hello. Hello. Our big man up top, Sam Parkins also here. Hi, Sam. Good afternoon. And it's a full debut for The Athletic's Norwich City reporter, Michael Bailey. Um, Pleased to be here, Michael. No need to give me a full 12-minute answer to that.
3: Yes.
2: (laughs) Very good. More on that 12-minute answer later, by the way. Uh, Later, we'll also hear from Kelly Summers on Watford's latest woes. First, though, it's time for this. Performance of the weekend. Yes, it's our traditional curtain raiser to the pod. 15 seconds per contestant to convince our listeners that their pick did the best football Over the weekend, Uh, I notice we've all gone for championship sides. I'm not sure what that says, but there we go. Adrian, I'm going to let you go first this week. You have picked Millwall. 15 seconds to convince our audience starts now.
4: Yeah, forget the first half hour. From then onwards, the Lions found their voice with a roar that had Sheffield Wednesday shuddering. Scott Malone's flicky uppy volley was fab. Two of Rowett's subs chipped in with goals too, as Millwall racked up 21 shots to four. First home win since October, and it was about to.
2: Mm, good. That was a slightly uh, off-putting horn noise, but uh, you managed to ride it well. Um, Michael, let's see how you fare. You've gone for everybody's favourite footballing side, the Bees of Brentford. Your 15 seconds start now.
5: I was uh, sat in my car delighted on the way back from uh, the long drive from Swansea that Middlesbrough were 1-0 up um, at home to Brentford and then the style and the way that Brentford just completely turned things around, the, the ease with which they scored the goals. <laughs>
2: Brentford <laughs> that, that is a Tons performance if ever I've seen one um, don't worry it'll get easier <laughs> with time um, Sam show, show Michael how it's done Cardiff City your pick 15 seconds go uh,
3: yeah I'm beaten start to, to life at Cardiff for Big Mick uh, celebrating his first win now New Luke Bluebirds Aidan Flint recorded as a third centre back for the last two games he was excellent here first clean sheet in 11 Will Volk's excellent at midfield Harry Wilson back to his best as a 10 well done Big Mick Got <clears throat> a
2: well, that, like the thing that is holding your microphone up, was absolutely textbook. I'm going to go next. I picked Rotherham, my 15-second start now. Took the revitalised Millers all of 17 seconds to go ahead at Preston as they earned a third away win on the bounce to lift them out of the relegation zone. They outshot Preston and managed to frustrate their host. Back-to-back wins, literal golden eggs, according to Paul Warne, who, according to my illustrious wife, wears a hat very well. It's a good hat that as well, isn't it? Um, Sam, I think you would have been all over this. It's it, it's club merchandise, but it looks like it's not club merchandise, and that's quite usually the um the best thing you can say for that kind of that kind of clubber.
3: Yeah, I do really like it actually. It's quite, I think it's quite a bold hat to go for as well. You could probably get a little bit of grief from the opposite technical area, I would imagine, if things are going awry. So, yeah, I, I quite respect what he's gone for. Lee Johnson had a really bad flat cap on, actually, on this subject last Tuesday at Milton Keynes, where he actually he could have been his dad. It, it, it was excellent. I was just imagining <laughs> that Gary would go through the exact same fare. So, um, yeah, Paul Warren, excellent. Lee Johnson, not so good.
2: Yeah, key is to have a spherical head and no glasses, I think. Otherwise, you end up looking like, where's Wally, like I do. Um, Performance of the week, that's what we were talking about, wasn't it? Get your votes in. At the Totally Show on Twitter is the place to go. It's also where you go to ask us any questions. Keep them about the EFL, though. Right, OK, let's get to the challenge.
0: Now, sir, remember, a tattoo is permanent, so tell me one more time what you want. Uh, well, I want Bruno Fernandes knocking a liver bird off its perch with a free kick, with Ollie as a kind of, like, god in the sky. Oh, and Champions 2021 on top as well. I can't see anything going wrong there, Money United fan. But if things don't go exactly as expected, Paddy Power's Acca Insurance gets you a free bet if one leg of your 4-plus-fold Acker lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min 25 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive, exclude shop bets, excludes enhanced match odds. TC and C's apply, 18+. Plus Aware.
1: This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
2: Championship headlines, Brentford 20 unbeaten and closing in on leaders Norwich. Bournemouth caretaker Jonathan Woodgate got off to a winning start against sorry Birmingham. At the bottom, there were big wins for Forrest and Rotherham again. And in truly shocking news, the Athletic's Adam Leventhal reports that Watford boss Zisco Munoz may already be under pressure. Let's spin back to you Friday night to kick off our roundup. Big win for Swansea against Norwich in the race for promotion at the Liberty Stadium. Sam and Michael both there. For the purposes of this segment, Sam, you're our Swansea correspondent, but we'll start with you, Michael, and Norwich. Not going great at the minute, all of a sudden. Are you concerned about this this apparent lack of form? And, and, and loss of goals, it seems, is, is becoming a problem too.
5: Yes, is probably the honest answer. Again, to repeat my intro. Um I think uh, I think it could I genuinely think it could go either way at the moment. I think clearly missing Emmy Buendia is a huge is a huge issue whenever he's not on the pitch. It's a little bit worrying how he does seem to make such a substantial difference to the way they attack. There's a real calmness around the club, so I don't think they're necessarily worried themselves, but it's it's almost as much where Swansea are. I think they clearly have gone up a level over the course of the season and I, they appear to be genuinely believing where they are and what they can do now. And you add a player in like Conor Hurrahan and, and it does take you on to an, another level. And there's one thing Norwich aren't doing and really haven't done all season and that's made anything look easy. Um, they've made it look good, um, but whether they've made it look easy is a different matter. So I think um, they've, they've got it within themselves to rediscover their form and start turning teams over and and they you know they've, they've got more than enough quality to do that most of the division but when you're told for sort of months on end how good you are and how you're the best team in the division even if it just sows the seed in that you start believing it if you if you lose your way in momentum in the championship it can be so hard to find to, to rediscover it especially when you have two teams who do seem to be sort of hitting hitting their straps properly so I think the, the next two or three games are really important. I think they've got five games that you would deem all winnable for a team that's going to finish in the top two uh, and then Brentford come to Carrow Road. So I think it's a really, really important spell coming up for Norwich and I, I wouldn't really want to call it either way because I think it, it, it's, that's a difficult one to answer. I just den- genuinely wouldn't know that answer yet.
2: Adrian, we spoke a lot about... Norwich, keeping hold of the likes of Buendia and Cantwell and Pookie in January, do you think maybe they should have been a bit more active in terms of bringing people in?
4: Possibly, yeah. I think in the, in the forward department, if it's not clicking for, for Pookie, are they going to score enough goals? That's the question. Look, they've outplayed a lot of teams, haven't they, this season? It's been some lovely football, but, but they haven't put teams to bed. You know, lots and lots of, of narrow victories, particularly at Carroll Road. But, but recently, of course, those... Those victories have turned into draws at Carrow Road, where they haven't put them to bed, or or just haven't been able to break teams down. So yeah, I, I am surprised, but but let's look at the positive. They kept Wendea and Camwell and and, and their two huge players for them moving forwards. I don't think there's any reason to panic at all. I think it's a case of stay calm, believe in Farker's methods, um, and and they. Sh- They'll be there or thereabouts. Absolutely. Uh, They've got a better defence now, I think, than they had when they went up last time. And they've got a pretty settled team as well. What I've looked at the fixtures, they've got the toughest ones out of the way. Michael will know this. They've played the entire top 10 on the road already. So they've got most of their immediate rivals at Carrow Road. Now, Those teams, you would imagine, won't park the bus in the way that some of the other teams have. So that might suit Norwich. And they've got almost all of the stragglers away from home. Um, So I think they've got the kindest running of of all the teams, Norwich. It's down to
3: them now. I've kind of got hundreds of questions for Michael because I I (laughs) thought that was a much more interesting story than Swansea uh, on Friday. Not doing them a disservice. And I know we're going to come on to them in in a minute. But... I was trying to critique it, obviously, at halftime and into the second half. I was impressed with Norwich's rotation in the first half. I thought if one of those pooky chances goes in, that's a really good, pretty good away performance. I thought Um, there was no real set positions. Oliver Skip was the holding midfielder. I couldn't really work out who was the 10. And it's just on that, really. Was there anything Daniel Farker could have done from the off to be a bit more proactive, do you think, Michael, with his starting lineup, and in turn... Do you feel those changes came a little bit too late? Because I was maybe thinking Hernandez or Vranchic could have been introduced at the break. Well, late late changes is a recurring theme. I think we we
5: if you were to pick holes, maybe in some of some of Daniel Farker's elements as head coach, I think his game management when he's when he's got to really force an issue, I, I think is is sometimes more reactionary than it should be. And I had that issue at Millwall in midweek. I, he he picked a similar eleven starting eleven to which I would have done because I think there was a solidity with Jakob Sorensen coming in and and Kenny McLean starting there is a fluidity there but then there's how you use the fluidity I, I still think someone like shemislav Poheta, Norwich haven't really figured out how to get the most out of him and he, he still looks a little lost you know you you want to see him running into spaces and although Norwich, the way Norwich build up the play doesn't always allow that um also positionally he seems to get a little bit caught between someone who is supposed to be sort of running in behind and on almost uh, off Teemu and into channels rather, uh, as well as being a, a winger sort of outside and trying to supply service as well. So I mean they, they are a, an incredibly fluid attacking side at the best of times and I think although we sort of pigeonhole a 4 2 three, one as their starting shape I mean like you say beyond really the the one or sometimes Lucas Root being the sort of second holder that they, they are really fluid what they do and that's what it's a recurring theme that teams know that Norwich can move the ball to where there's a lot of space very efficiently and quickly, and I think Swansea did a good job of restricting them from kind of being able to do that quickly enough, and they covered a lot of ground themselves. So I think um, it was difficult because I mean, you know what it's like with the, these games; they, what happens in them intrinsically affects them, and I think it was it was a really sloppy goal to concede just before half time, and then sort of an inexplicable inexplicable five minutes where they just. I think Ben Gibson made one poor pass and then about four or five more followed and before they knew it, Hurahan had, had hit a wonderful strike and at 2-0 down. Although Norwich's reaction was very good, I sensed from Swansea that it was they were perfectly happy to allow that and, and that there was only really going to be an issue if, if Norwich got a goal back. So I'm not sure if Daniel could have done much more. It it was probably an element of Norwich needing to have done better with, with where they were. Teamers' chance in the in the first half was the only the only real one that sort of sticks in the mind and you know I'd like to see him hit the target with that and in a game like that at the top of the division it, it can be costly if you then go and make two mistakes basically either side of half time at the other end.
2: Uh, Sam we ought to give Swansea some credit because they actually won the game. Conor Hurahan a game with a goal apart from him and the other suspects that,
3: that we've been talking about in recent weeks who else stood out for you for the I really like Jay Fulton, although I, I spoke of him because of his brilliant finish last week. I think he gives them an element of of control in there. I think we started this season feeling that the number 10 position was going to be the pivotal one in that Swansea lineup. And for Steve Cooper to show his versatility in, in the makeup of his midfield over the last month or two, I think he's going to put them in really good footing for the rest of the season, different permutations. Grimes is the deepest player at the moment. I think he's got the most tackles in in a division. He wasn't that type of player when I played alongside him. So he's continuing to surprise me and impress me. Um, But just same old Swansea, wasn't it? You know, seven times they've gone ahead now at the Liberty, seven victories, never felt they were in any danger. Yes, they throw their bodies in front of the ball. They block. Um, I've spoken about Norwich's rotation. I think Swansea are quite set in their shape, but what a brilliant shape it is. It's it's almost uh, kind of Conte-esque at Chelsea, and maybe what the knee manager's doing there as well, you know, where it's they don't flood bodies forward because they don't need to create loads of chances to score. They score, and then they defend their box and keep their shape, and they do it brilliantly well. So, I mean, 15 clean sheets in 27 games, I remember calling them naive during the playoffs when they tried to out-football Brentford last season and he's gone away in the summer and he's completely revamped the setup and huge credit. And with the signings that he's made, they have got an unbelievable chance because I I see no real weakness there now, given that there's three or four new members of that squad.
4: Yeah, he's just brought in older heads, hasn't he? He realised they're a bit green. Last last year, a bit too inexperienced and, and Bennett's come in and done great. What a pickup that is from, from Wolves and, and Jamal Lowe, championship experience. And obviously Hurahan, who's who's doing the business with that wand of a left foot at the moment. So, yeah, he's um, learned from where they went wrong last year.
2: Yeah, you think Steve Cooper will probably be in the Premier League in one way or another. Top three then, Norwich, 55 points from 28. Brentford, 54 from 27. Swansea, 53 from 27, mentioned uh, a 12 minute answer. That's what Daniel Farker gave in his pre match press conference uh, when he was asked about doubts fans may be having. Hmm. Uh, let's move on to Bournemouth 3, Birmingham 2, a goal fest in Dorset to welcome back Jonathan Woodgate to management, if only for a short time. Perhaps goals from Danjima Wilshire and Billing for Bournemouth countered a Hogan brace for Birmingham, for whom it came crashing down. And hurt inside. So Jonathan Woodgate taking charge of the Cherries only brought in as first team coach on Monday of last week. Uh, anybody notice anything different tactically done from from what Jason Tindall had been doing before?
4: I don't know about tactically. He, he shook up the team, didn't he? he? He made a number of changes, so he, he stamped his mark on it right away. So so that was impressive. But yeah, it was a, it was a good game. I mean, they they rode their luck a little bit. Birmingham were, were really good in the first half and scored two. Could have had more. Begovic is starting to look his age, isn't he? After after having a really great start to the season, he, he's making more regular mistakes now. But no, it's um, yeah. I don't think it was massively different. It was it was just talent again that got them over the line, wasn't it? In terms of Dan Zuma and and Wilshere coming to the fore in this game. On other occasions, it's it's been Solanke and Brooks. So. Yeah, I said that the dismissal was was really harsh on on Twitter in the week, and so many Bournemouth fans came came for me. They really did, and they and they said, "Look, no, honestly, it was no good. We we've, we've sort of won games that we didn't deserve to win. Tactics were a little bit dodgy, and, and and they weren't at all impressed with with Jason Tinder. Now, the games that I saw, I was quite impressed with him. So, but they've obviously seen more. And, uh, and you have to take their take their word for that but um good to see jack Wilshire shining that that's what I'll say good to see him get an opportunity and I just thought his assist was trademark jack you know gliding past a player and slipping someone in and and even his header was that was a terrific header as well from him so um yeah good luck to Wilshire good luck to woodgate it's, it's going to be it could be the shortest tenure ever though couldn't it
2: um well I certainly empathize with you clark if you've, you've been getting pelters off Bournemouth fans on Twitter because I had nearly a year of that. Uh, in terms of contenders to take the job full-time, the Athletic reported on Monday that the Cherries have been inundated with people wanting the job, including David Wagner. Here's Jake asking, who do you think is the best fit for the AFCB job? Woodgate and Terry heavily linked. However, their personal instance in the past don't really fit with a large majority of our fan base. Any up-and-comers you'd like to see away from the usual faces um Michael I guess if they did go for John Terry then they'd, they'd save a few quid on on monogramming uh coats for him for the dugout etc just keep the ones from Jason Tyndall still works <laughs> pretty much I mean it oh, there would be uh <clears throat> it'd feel like another
5: risk wouldn't it I know Norwich fans have kind of likened uh Tyndall's reign to to Neil Adams when he sort of stepped in and you know did okay but you're, you're relying on a lot on someone who hasn't managed at all to to achieve that kind of level and i mean you'd be asking the same thing of john terry wouldn't you so i don't know i mean even then adjusting them tactically is probably not as important dare i say with bournemouth as as literally just getting the players believing and and because they're all good enough They've, they've got enough quality they just need to have the belief in them that no matter what the opposition are doing they'll 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 go and beat them which in effect is what they did against Birmingham as well who were hideously passive at Carrow Road a few months ago so uh, even even them scoring a couple of goals away they did with a bit of help from Begovic I thought was was something a bit more um, proactive in them that they they're probably going to need to do to get themselves out of trouble so I it's a I I the, the probably the one thing I'm surprised about um, and I speak as someone who got grief off Bournemouth fans for about a year. Uh, for, for about a year after I suggested um, <laughs> that. Oh no! I've
4: that... got twelve months of this. <laughs> <laughs> no,
5: hopefully not. But I think mine was the fairy tale line, but maybe I was coming at it from a Norwich angle. I don't know when they got promoted, but I think um I think it does surprise me that having removed Tindall, that they didn't have an idea of who they would want in place. I think to spend weeks at this point in the season, in the Championship season, trying to appoint someone. I know they want to do it properly, but. It's a, it's a difficult one to sort of wait and hang around. Uh, they will have fallen on their feet if Jonathan Woodgate, having only arrived on Monday, <laughs> can actually steady the ship himself for just a few weeks in that time while they while they while they sort that out. Um, and again, maybe the quality of their squad will allow them to do that. But that that does seem a, a risk when so many games happen in a, sh- a relatively short space of time.
2: So that's Bournemouth, Sam. What about Birmingham? I mean, the the marking totally non-existent for a couple of the Bournemouth goals, and you think. Defending is what Itor Karanka can set a team up to do. They've won one of their last 11 games. They're in the bottom three. How much longer has he got to turn this round, do you think?
3: Yeah, it's it's quite precarious at the moment. I think the fans have, have certainly turned. Obviously, the season and, and maybe they shouldn't be judged on one performance at Bournemouth, especially given that they, they were very good for 35 minutes and, and played quite on the front foot in comparison to how we, we expect them to set up. But... It's an aging squad, isn't it? It's not a a, a group of players that Karanka has recruited, looking to the next uh, two or three seasons. So I thought the recruitment was probably wrong in the summer. Uh, there's a, there's a distinct lack of goals. I think he doesn't fancy Jukovic anymore. So I suppose we have to just hope for the Birmingham fans sake that um the new signings come in Cosgrove obviously we spoke of last week Valerie from Southampton and Rakeem Harper as well so on the face of it that looks like three decent additions who haven't been thrown in to this point so they may get a little improvement but I mean only Wickham have got a worse record over the last 10 games and there's a lot of question marks not only been asked about the manager but also the ownership of that club so I think it's only going to gather pace over the next few weeks and on the face of it I think in unison we weren't all uh, hugely infused by this appointment and it's exactly how it's playing out
2: The tumult continues at Watford after their dismal 0-0 at Coventry on Saturday In the wake of that game the Athletics' Adam Leventhal penned a big piece on the internal strife at Vicarage Road just now Joining us to give her view is friend of the show and Watford fan Kelly Summers Uh, Kelly, we're a whopping nine games into Zisco Munoz's tenure. If rumours are to be believed, he's already under pressure. Are you surprised at this?
6: I've supported Watford long enough, Matt, not to be surprised by those sorts of rumours. It's been a bit of a standing joke amongst Watford fans the past few days. We've been waiting for the corner flag photo on Twitter, which means club statement, (laughs) Zisco Munoz has been sacked. Um, The performances have been uninspiring. I think when he was brought in, there was a real lift um, in the first performance against Norwich, but there was a lot of scepticism about him because of his lack of coaching experience and the fact that he'd only really coached in Georgia and everyone thought he was a bit bit green and not really the coach we were hoping for. Uh, so I think he's always been up against it in a way. Um, and I think potentially some of the tactical naivety and some of the decisions and the performances for the last few games, well, how we are still only seven points off top, I have no idea. Um, so yeah, I'm not too surprised is um, a short way of saying it.
2: But as you say, you're fifth, only one defeat in in six games. Why is the why does the camp seem to be so unhappy? Is that, that like hangover from last season? They're the, going through one manager already. What do you put it down to?
6: It's really tricky to put a finger on it, really. But obviously, I think I think every club has a bit of a hangover. I know Jason Tindall talked about it when he left Bournemouth, the rebuild job you do when you inherit a squad that has been relegated. Um, I liked what Watford did when they originally brought in Vladimir Ivich. I thought that maybe there had been too much player power. Maybe at last these players needed to be accountable for their underpar performances, but it was clear that he was too far down that end of the spectrum. It wasn't a happy place to be. We were going away from home to teams that you'd like to think we could beat and we were setting up so defensively and it was, it was a really hard watch. And our attacking players just weren't being given the licence to go and terrorise Championship defences. Pedro, Saar, even Andre Gray, although He's obviously struggling ridiculously so for goals. We've got players to cause problems, but they were kind of being held back. Munoz looked like he was enabling them to get some of their creativity back, but that only lasted a couple of games. And I've got to be honest, I watch now and I don't know what the game plan is. And I kind of feel like the football reflects that. And I feel like the players don't really know what the game plan is. Players playing out of position... Um, there just looks to be a lack of cohesion on the pitch and when you're this far into a season with the players Watford have got let's be honest it should have started to come together by now
2: Yeah you mentioned the players there we've been speaking about Adam Leventel's piece on, on this and, and there's a line in there where he talks about Nathaniel Chaloba being seen shouting you asked us to press directly at Munoz during that Coventry game we, I think it's not, an underest- it's not an understatement to say that player power is important at Watford. and It sounds like he hasn't got the key people on side. What's what's Troy Deeney's thoughts on all of this, I wonder? Is he going to be player manager in a couple of weeks?
6: I don't know. I think in that um, article, Adam Leventhal said that Troy Deeney is someone that the manager looks upon and when Ivic was sacked. There were suggestions of um, that Deeney had been involved in something he shouldn't have been and Scott Duxbury came back out and backed the captain and said... No, there's no issues. We've got no disciplinary problems with Troy. Some fans, I understand why, think that he does have too much power. Ultimately, we don't know. We're not in that dressing room. We're not behind the scenes at the club. And yes, players do have to be held accountable. It's no surprise that all of these managers can't get a tune out of these players. But I think Nigel Pearson said it at the weekend um, on EFL on Quest, where he said, it's an unhealthy culture. As a player, you're not going to be as accountable if you know the manager is going to get sacked. But it does sound like there's something kind of the bigger picture is is not great for Watford because this isn't something that's been happening for a couple of months now. It, it's been ever since really Watford lost um, to Wolves in the FA Cup semi final. Was that two seasons ago now? So yeah, I think um, I think it's a number of things going wrong. I think we can look at players underperforming, but are their surroundings and the conditions that they're being given are they what they need to flourish? That's what I. know. There,
4: there are so many changes, aren't there? That that. The the first sign of trouble. The players know that the manager will be under pressure and might go. And then and then there's there's more of a likelihood that they might just say, "Oh well, yeah, let's get rid of this guy. Let's try someone new." It's like, it's like yeah. a shopaholic, isn't it? In terms of now, don't like that. I'm gonna uh, let us get something else. I'll send that back. It it does have that vibe. And I just wanted to ask you, it's a bit of a bit of a naughty question, but say say Vladimir <laughs> Ivic said, "Yeah, I'm I'm up for coming back." What do you think if that no. was the choice, Munoz to the end of the <laughs> season or Ivic? what would you prefer?
6: Neither are the answer. No,
4: no, no. You've, um, got <laughs> no You've got to pick
6: No, I'm sitting here one. on the firmly on the fence. Um, I've seen this week a lot of people asking for Nigel Pearson back at Watford. I don't think that's the answer either. I also don't think he'd come back and who can blame him. But I think what Watford need is a manager. Oh, you want someone to come in and really have an impact because it feels like at the moment these head coaches, they're coming in, but of course they're not being given long enough to have an impact, but it just feels a bit like... I remember Ben Foster saying that Nigel Pearson came in and he was a proper manager. He took care of everything, if you know what I mean. Not just the the players on the pitch and formations and stuff. He kind of looked at the bigger picture, and that's what I'd love to come in. Someone to come in and be back. Every football fan would want this, and particularly what fans. Someone to come in with the experience, the know how, to manage a group of players where there probably are some egos, but there's also some really exciting young players in there as well. We want SAR to flourish. We want Pedro to flourish. And we've got all of the players there, maybe barring the strikers. I definitely don't agree with Munoz that we've got the best strikers in the championship, which is what he said when he came in. You just want I just want a manager to come in and oversee the whole project, really, because it shouldn't be an unattractive job. I completely get why it is with the turnover, but the squad is there and it just feels like it, it should be so much better than it is. And that's the frustration for Watford fans at the moment. Every week we're thinking, this is the week. They can turn it around. The players are saying the right thing and... Every week, the performances at the moment are just getting worse.
3: Sorry, Matt, we can't get Kelly on. There's a huge elephant in the room. Um, She's mentioned Nigel Pearson. What did you think of his T-shirt, waistcoat combo, (laughs) Kelly?
6: He'd got new glasses on, hadn't he? He'd got like a, um, well, I don't think it was a waistcoat. No, Don't beat around the bush.
3: Don't beat around the bush. Come on, tell us what Um, you really thought. (laughs) It was bold.
6: It was bold and I love that he had the confidence to do it.
3: Listen,
2: the man's beating up a pack of wolves on his own. Let's not give him too much shit he might come and get us. Um, Kelly, sorry for ruining your Monday, but thanks for coming on anyway.
6: I'd say thanks for having me, but that wasn't much fun, to be honest.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Summers of the BBC, PLP TV and more there. Well, that leads us nicely to Wickham nil, Forest 3 Glenn Murray deems surplus to requirements by Watford goes and bags a brace for the two-time European Champions on his Reds debut, it means Forrest are either five points above the relegation zone or seven off the top half, depending on your perspective. Uh, here's a tweet from Nick Miller. I had a set of notes prepared for last week's pod to back up my assertion that Glenn Murray was a terrible signing for Forrest. Two goals in 54 minutes of his debut. Many thanks to Matt Davis-Adams for moving on in the running order before getting to meet for that one. That pod, by the way, is two stars. It's also from The Athletic and it's all about Forrest. Uh, Sam, Glenn Murray, he's only 18 months younger than you, but he can still do it. That lob was absolutely delicious. Is he really? Yeah, what's he, 31? 37.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was a really, it was a really nice finish. Um, the second one, I suppose, just shows the gamesmanship that 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 Murray has long had in his his armory. Um, I think he's the king of winning penalties. He has been in the Premier League for Brighton. I don't like it, but um, I think there was a little tug from Knight and showing all his experience and and taking it beautifully. So yeah, it looks like a really good signing. Reuniting in the, the Brighton three. I don't know if there's any more, but Bong, Knockart and Murray had a nice cuddle at full time and it's it's sensible. Chris Hughton wasn't getting a tune out of this talented Forest squad for a number of weeks and now he's had an opportunity to bring in some of his guys. Um, things are looking up and even Lolly, I think looking back to his best as well, um, creating a goal. So some really nice signs uh, for you, Matt. Karinovich, um making a difference as well, I think. So, yeah, there's been, there's been some good signings, but after, you know, talking Wickham's chances of survival up, um, looking a bit bleak for them.
2: Uh, how about Wickham, Michael? We're, we're big fans of them on this pod and we've been desperately trying to make a case for them to beat the odds and, and beat the drop, but only one win since November. 13 goals conceded in, in these last four games. Eight matches to come in February. This is going to make or break them then. Can, can you see any way that they survive?
5: No, not really. Sorry, I'm not going to help with the bigging up. I think, I mean, they, they've, they're they've achieved against the odds to be here in the first place, and I, I know that's a horrible cliche, but the level that they're putting into games, you can see, you can see they're causing people a lot of problems. And I think there's there's a degree of, oh God, I'm going to sound so patronising here, aren't I? But there's a degree of achievement in in doing that, in co- in causing issues, in you know collecting your first points at this level, and and um just making life horrible for teams who have, you know, they probably have no right playing playing against, I suppose sort of for a prolonged period of time ultimately um so i know at carra road they the and they they were pretty unlucky not to pick up their first points in the championship in that on that day and they they really caused Norwich some issues and they 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 outworked them to be honest and i think their directors were 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 making up for the lack of any supporters in the ground as well and i, I think they've got that reputation going for them as well so but, but it, i mean it sticks in my mind that um uh, Anas Mametti was uh, an under 18s player at Norwich. He was released in the summer, and he's been, you know, he's been playing in that first team this season. I mean, and that's a that's a massive jump, and I think that sort of accent, accent accentuates the, the the levels they're having to jump to. Uh, I think there are even some people at Norwich who who almost liken what Wickham are having to do this year to what Norwich have had to do in the Premier League. Now I don't know if that's just to make themselves feel better or what, but I think um, I don't think it's quite like that, but. I think you have to you have to be realistic at this stage they are miles behind it, it would take a, a a a huge effort to to turn it around even now and and they haven't got the resources to do it so I think they just need to look after themselves in terms of what happens from here on in and make sure that the this, that they are bouncing between the two levels more often than it just being a one one off wonder
2: Yep, time will tell with that okay let's get some odds with Paddy Power here played by producer Abby um Abby we're not going to do an ACA this week you've put because of the weather. But really, I think we just need to, some time off, refresh and go again in a couple of weeks. So let's go old school. What about odds? Can you to that Baddie to Paul Power? Cook
3: as well, Matt? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, don't awesome, bet against Forrest.
2: You know, rule one. Yeah, yeah.
3: His reasoning was the pitch as well, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was. Didn't matter. Got to grips with it. Can play on any surface. Um, that's why we won the European Cup twice. Abby, what were we talking about? Odds for the championship. Who's going to win it? <laughs>
1: back to back to the modern day uh, yes brentford are the favorites to now win the championship they are 10 to 11 uh, norwich now 2 to 1 and swansea 9 to 2 incidentally all of those are odds on to be promoted in, into the premier league
2: what about relegation
1: Yes, you've been talking about Wickham, and uh, sadly they are one to eighty now to get relegated. So probably write them off now. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday four to five, and Birmingham eleven to ten, and then we've got four teams who are four to one to be relegated, and they are Derby, Coventry, Huddersfield, and Rotherham. No Forest there, would you believe?
2: Wow, well, that is surprising. One to eighty is really, really harsh, by the way. Bless it. <laughs> All right, League One next.
1: on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams.
2: League One headlines. Lincoln scored a pen and are now three points off the top after seeing off Gillingham. And The weekend's coupon buster came in the East Midlands as bottom side Burton beat title-chasing Hull and Wimbledon's win over Wigan lifts them out of the relegation zone, pushing Swindon back into it. Speaking of the Dons, Jason Yule has entered the race for the vacant manager position. He ticks the main box when it comes to employing a new Wimbledon manager he used to play for Wimbledon. Uh, But we begin with another five-goal thriller. Oxford's 13-match winning streak brought to an end by Darren Moore's Doncaster. No surprise this was a thriller, Clark. Either two form teams in the division and they didn't let us down.
4: Great game, wasn't it? And uh, it's another game where Doncaster really got battered in terms of of the chances. Five shots to Oxford's 17, but they're showing incredible resilience, aren't they? At the back, um, great fighting spirit, but but also terrific organisation. Just wanted to mention the two centre-halves actually, Tom Anderson and Andy Butler. They've struck up a really good partnership in recent weeks. Anderson's the captain, bit of a journeyman, but didn't make it at Burnley. He's having a really consistent season, but his partner, Andy Butler, 37, player coach. He's also the manager of Doncaster Bell's women's team, it's it's quite a story, really. That that he that he's such an integral part of what what is beginning to look like a a promotion campaign. So so well done those guys, but but it's not just them. It's 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 the the defending as a team is is really really impressive. And then and then they've got match winners, haven't they? Um, Taylor Richards, who pretty much didn't do anything in the first half, just came alive lovely little assist, beautiful slip pass, and then his goal. His goal was just was a little bit outrageous, wasn't it? It was a cheeky little nutmeg, nice dribble and, and clinical finish from him. So so they've got that lovely mix at the moment. I, I wouldn't worry if I was an Oxford fan. It was just one of those games between two good teams. They slugged it out and, and they just fell on the wrong side of it.
2: Sam, you said last week you think Doncaster might might fall away as the, the season goes on. One thing that might Prevent them from doing that is is the form of Fajiri Okunobe. He's been in the goals of late. Is he is he a strike you like the look of?
3: I've always liked him to be honest. And when he was at Shrewsbury, he looked like a really good finisher when he burst onto the scene, but maybe he just hasn't hasn't kicked on and become a a real out and out goal scorer but he looked in, in, in fine form at the weekend. I completely agree with what Adrian says, because if you look at that 11, there is no way probably that they should be sitting third in the league. But what Darren Moore is is showing time and again is that he really knows how to set a team up and play on the counter-attack, four shots and three goals at the, at the weekend. So, And this is all being done without their best player, who obviously went off to Preston in, in January. So it's it's shaping up to be an incredible story I still feel that they'll probably fall away but tactically Darren Moore seems to have I suppose learned on the job a hell of a lot considering maybe we did question some of his decisions when he was the gaffer at West Brom and I think we we often did we often thought they were probably too open and and such like so this is a really well set up Doncaster side and yeah, no worries about Oxford either. A couple of new players into their forward line, that's probably just teething problems for them. Michael,
2: a similar question to to the one I posed about Steve Cooper and, and maybe he'll be in the Premier League one way or another before too long. Darren Moore... He's probably better off staying at Doncaster, certainly for this season, isn't he? You know, rather than going in somewhere like Sheffield Wednesday, where the mood is low, the points are even lower and you're really up against it. Get this full good season under your belt. No real expectation on Doncaster. So if he gets them in the playoffs, his reputation's increased and then he might be able to go and take a step up.
5: Yeah, 100% I think the way he's looking after the lone players and 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 utilizing them, I think that's a big show of faith in in his abilities and it's obviously coming together very well. I think that the, the longevity of of achieving something over the course of a of a season, it feels like there's more weight to that now. I don't, I, don't, I don't know, maybe that's, a, that's something to do with the environment we're in at so many clubs, but yeah, you know, there's so much other uncertainty. You can't really necessarily uh, you don't want to take the risk, I suppose, with your managerial changes if you have to, maybe. So, and and likewise, as a manager, the, you know, there's a there's a lot to be said to know what you've got around you and how to build it. I mean, Darren's kind of rebuilding his his career after West Brom himself, and I think it seems to be clearly going very well where he is now. And and Doncaster, a club who can make that you can make that that jump into the championship they've done it before and and they've kind of got enough around them i think to make that stick in it in a similar way that i think Rotherham've got it in them in them as, as well regardless of of what they're sort of battling with so yeah i mean it's it's difficult when when big clubs come calling i think because I've yet. Well, there is no manager who doesn't believe that they could achieve anything at any club they end up being asked to manage at, regardless of who they are. So, um, I think in the position Donny are in, I don't know. I, I, there would just be so much you could, you know, finish off with at the end of the season that it would be a shame if you didn't see it out. But um, I don't know how many managers also feel feel the same way when they're in that situation themselves.
2: Um, let's go on to the big upset of the weekend in League One. Burton Albion snatching a win over High Flying Hull thanks to Johnny Smith's injury time winner on debut after his deadline day move from Bristol City. We will lavish Burton with praise soon enough. Um, but Adrian, Hull have a few of these unexpected defeats, don't they? And not even a shot on target here.
4: Real bad day at the office. Definite bad day, yeah. Well, it's two blanks in the last three games for Hull City. So that's, you know, it's a, it's a mini alarm bell moment isn't it for them it it can happen it we see it in the premier league don't we so many games coming you you can't maintain you you look at one team one day and you think so much energy so much vibrancy they look the real deal and then a couple of days later or three or four days later they play again and they're knackered and and they look they they look very average it i think the same is starting to apply to, to teams lower down the pyramid and hull Probably one of those. It's just an off day, you know. Dan Crowley, Keen Lewis, Potter, Malik Wilkes, all talented boys, but just didn't happen for them in this game against a, a sort of new look Burton that that suddenly know how to keep clean sheets. So, so yeah. No, I wouldn't. A little bit like Oxford, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too too worried if I if I was a Tiger supporter. It's. Um, yeah, it's one of those. You're, you're going, It's going to be a bumpy road, I think, for most teams between now and the, and the end of the season because the games are going to continue to come thick and fast.
2: Uh, Michael, this was Burton's first game in, in the thick end of three weeks. That is absolutely invaluable for Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank to get all that time on the training ground with his players, isn't it? It's like a cheat code for this season
5: his own pre-season i know what's that about i don't even think most teams got that in the summer did they between actual seasons this time around but fair play because he's obviously having a a huge impact immediately in terms of them being able to shut opposition sides out and well recurring theme i guess is is that you know burton's challenge to stay even at that level is is you know something that they have managed to ride through season after season but uh I, it helps that he's been there before, I think, as well. You know, even if it was several seasons ago, he, he kind of knows what he's working around and and can get can get stuck into it properly. And I think certainly in terms of his situation and and just trying to get a bit of extra organisation and belief into them then yeah you can imagine hammering them for a, for a week or two extra on the on the training pitch make a big difference a 9 but in 7 still out go and do it
4: and nine, 9 in 7 out he needed that time didn't he to to get these new faces sort of up to speed with with the messages i think that was you know that's quite bold isn't it but in their predicament i guess they had to go for it didn't they in, in the window and and at least they've been active Swindon
2: nil Shrewsbury 1 Harry Chapman with the only goal of the game here Sam what's happening with your old club one winning 8 at home general sense of disorganisation and I thought this was quite well illustrated a friend of mine who supports Swindon pointed this out on twitter this morning Swindon signed Kieran Freeman on a short term deal on the 7th of January and he went to Swansea by the end of the month it doesn't feel like the the dots are being connected properly at the county ground at the moment
3: yeah it's, there's a lot of finger pointing at the chairman in, in particular, who's obviously abroad in a, uh, a court case. Uh, so that's not helping because that's obviously going on in the background. But the biggest issue was Jay Simi's sale at the 11th hour of the um, the last night of the transfer window, who's been Swindon's best player this season. Uh, there was some clause in his contract which enabled him to leave. And, and obviously, the chairman has. Has spoken of that and the necessity to raise funds to continue the football club being able to turn out and, and pay their players so it's difficult to get too involved in that I know the Swindon fans would love me to but I'm not going to um, I can talk about the chairman uh, making some appointments which weren't particularly successful in Phil Brown David Flitcroft obviously John Sheridan now who is getting absolute pelters I can't really remember a manager getting such uh, an amount of stick he's not endearing himself to the supporters at all and the football is a complete mess yeah they don't seem to have a plan a shapeless mess was the text message that I received from a a long supporting town fan Um, so They've stopped conceding as much as they were, just three in the last three, but there doesn't seem to be much of a strategic plan moving forward. And against the side in Shrewsbury, who, who have exactly that, know exactly what they are and know how to set up. Um, and now they've added a little sprinkling of, of talent in Chapman, who's got three goals there. I've liked the look of him since he's gone there on loan. Um, that was probably a result. That was inevitable. Two huge games now against Portsmouth and and Bristol Rovers, a bit of a derby. So I'm not sure what the answer is, but the answer isn't probably changing the manager again right now. But obviously John Sheridan's not going to be someone to take them forward long-term. So they need to stay up by hook or crook this year and um, and hopefully appoint a manager and have some backing where they can go and achieve something.
2: Michael, from a supporter's point of view, it kind of underlined the importance to me of, of a manager making a good impression with fans early on because with John Sheridan, he's not not exactly a song and dance man, is he? He's a bit of a bit of a dour character, I think it's fair to say on the touchline. The, the impression that I got from him when he came in was, Well, I was on a month to month contract at Wigan and I got a longer one here, so that's why I came. It's not exactly inspirational stuff, is it? Um,
5: no. It's such an important relationship to to build really quickly uh, because it will end up fraying <laughs> very quickly one way or the other. It's just a question of when, basically. So I think um, it, it's difficult because I don't think every manager wants to play up to that necessarily, and and they're their own person. And as I kind of touched on earlier, they have their own ego that they will fulfil by the club they're at. But um, and it's it's obviously a really tricky dynamic at the moment when you don't have fans in 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 stadia either, and. I, I found that account- accountability fascinating really because you're relying on a lot of social... You know, how, how do fans kind of deal with it if they're really unhappy because they can't shout in person at the people that it's going on Then you end up just sort of shouting at yourself or shouting at your phone on Twitter and it, it becomes a horrible place. And I think, you know, even even from early in Project Restart and in and, you Norwich's abysmal form, you could sort of sense that it was very hard gauging how bad things were with the supporters' opinions of things at Norwich when you were only judging it by Twitter, which is a you know, disaster zone, really. So I think that obviously makes the situation very, very difficult for John. But then he, he might not really care about that because he might just be focused on his own job and he doesn't really have to worry necessarily about... The direct impact of the supporters.
2: Adrian, lest we forget, Shrewsbury actually won this game for the way winner of the season for them, all by a goal to nil. Even more impressive, given that they're still without Steve Cottrell, that the club say he'll be discharged from hospital soon, which is good news. But but since he's come in, they've just completely turned their form around.
4: Yeah, yeah it's been a remarkable impact. and And I'm led to believe that he's having quite a say, even though he's He's in hospital, which is amazing, really. You know, he spoke to the players before the game and, and afterwards, I think there were messages at half-time as well from him um, watching it on iFollow. I, I'm told he was a few minutes behind, so so Aaron Wilbraham phoned him up after the final whistle because he knew that he'd probably still be watching it in his hospital bed just to reassure him, it's all, it's all over, we've won, which I thought was a really nice touch, actually, for, from Aaron Wilbraham. But yeah, look... It, yeah he's he's organized the team brilliantly and, and Wilbraham is is doing a good job, obviously in his absence. Good recruitment as as Sam said, uh, Harry Chapman on loan from Blackburn, boom, not messing around, comes straight in and and has hit the ground running. I think the pickup of Curtis Main as well sort of target man, centre forward for, from Aberdeen. It's quite a coup. I was, I was looking at his record. I, I don't get to see Scottish football because I just don't have time. A lot of appearances for Aberdeen and Motherwell over the last few seasons. So he's been playing, you know, S, SPL football. So for Shrewsbury to pick him up, you know, is is a decent... It's a decent move for them, you'd imagine. I think he made a difference as a, as a sort of pivot at the top of the pitch. So, yeah, look, Shrewsbury are right near the bottom, but I just don't see them going down. Not not with the way that they defend as a team, um, which is excellent. But opposite of Swindon, obviously.
2: Abby, let's get some League One odds, please. Uh, we're talking winner and relegation once more. Uh, what do our friends at Paddy Power think are the most likely scenarios for those?
1: Hull are still favourites to be the winners. They are eleven to four with Lincoln ten to three and uh, Portsmouth seven to two. Doncaster are way down at four to one. Uh, if we look at the bottom of the table in those relegation positions, it is Wigan who are one to four. Both Swindon and Burton two to five with Northampton four to six to complete those bottom four positions.
2: Okay, last stop, League Two.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone.
1: This is the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
2: Two headlines. Cambridge extend their lead at the top of the table with a win over Barrow. A deadline day boon for Exeter is what Robbie Wilmot starred in the Grecians' comeback win over Bradford. And the only way is not Crawley as Mark Wright gets hooked at half-time. It's that game where we are going to start. Crawley 1, Harrogate 3. Harrogate scoring all of their goals in the first half to secure the points uh, alas the story is more TV based Mark Wright's full debut subbed at half time uh, what do you think Yemo? I
3: thought the boys had come on really had a go they showed that they want to play for Crawley, and that's what will be happening there's too many people who I think might be taking it a bit easy-ozy still think we're playing Leeds every week
2: <laughs> Michael we spoke about this a fair bit at the time and we felt that it might just be a PR stunt that actually wasn't a very good move
3: footballing wise what do you think have we been proved right yeah, right, <laughs> I didn't even mean <laughs> that. I don't think we have talked about this. I think this has been another elephant in the room. Really? Maybe we just spoke about it, it off air a lot. What do you think then? Go Michael, go in. Yeah, yeah, well, go, go two-footed I mean, on I, Mark
2: Wright like he couldn't on a Harrogate Defender.
5: You, <laughs> I love it. Mark Wright is like a name that I know. I've never watched The Only Way Is Essex. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. I I, I haven't. And so um, I caught him sort of. I sort of of, saw him wandering on the pitch. I know he's sort of got a bit of a background and everything, but um, I mean, he he looked from the very small bits I saw like he was going to be substituted at (laughs) halftime. Like he was sort of, you know, you know how players have that sort of, you know, they're a second ahead of the play and they know what they're going to do. Well, he was sort of like the reverse. But again, this is a very small sample size. So, um, And, you know, we're talking about it. So, you know, as PR stunts go, that's a success, isn't it?
2: Yeah, depends how many points it starts costing you, I suppose. Um, how would it go down in the dressing room, Clarkie? You know, we spoke about the fact that he's probably not of the level of a Ralph Little, but surely whoever it is, he's not actually a footballer. You don't want them coming in midway through a
4: season and, and taking somebody else's place. Well, he's 34. I mean that's what you got to remember. I mean, doesn't look it. He's a good-looking lad. He, he could be in his twenties, couldn't he? But he, he is thirty-four, so for him to be sort of making his league debut at that age is, he's a bit ridiculous. But John Yemmster do, doesn't strike me, even though he might have been forced into you know bringing him in for the documentary that maybe bring generates cash. Doesn't strike me as the kind of manager that would. That would tolerate a player that just isn't good enough. I think we're. I don't want to. I don't want to hang him, Mark Wright. I don't. I don't. I want to say this is all down to him. I think from what I saw, none of the team played well. That the whole defence was a shambles. It's easy to say Mark Wright isn't good enough, but I don't think he's that far off. I don't think it's it's um, it's it's like someone winning a competition. He's he's played a lot of football in his in his life until this point. Yeah, he probably is punching above his weight, but I'd hazard a guess there have been worse players represent represent that club or, or, or certainly teams at that level. So, yeah, it's, it's easy for us to laugh, but yeah, I, I, I don't think it's all down to Mark Wright. Sorry for being boring.
2: Easy to laugh and fun too. I'll uh, be pointing out that they probably don't need the cash anymore after selling Max Waters and getting that cup run as well. What about Harrogate, Sam? The winners here and and shooting up the table as a result from twentieth to fourteenth. We had Simon Weaver on right at the start of the season, didn't we? And and that continuity that they've had, you know, in contrast to Barrow and their struggles this season, it's really helped them as as they've got to grips with with life in League Two.
3: Yeah, it looks like they're going to stay up comfortably. Um, seven new players in. And I think that's just revitalised them uh, as well. He's spoken of the the real spirit, the senior players that were already there, uh, welcoming these new players in, great camaraderie, and away from home, second best record in the league. So this shouldn't come as any surprise, even though Crawley, prior to this little malaise, had been going pretty well. Uh, and the two centre-forwards, I thought I'd highlight. Martin hadn't scored for four months he's two in two now um had a hand in one of the other goals with his aerial prowess he looked to be really dominant in that regard and then um Josh March on loan from Forest Green got a goal and assist as well so those two I suppose giving Simon Weaver the belief that they can do it without Jack Muldoon who we uh spoke about his unbelievable stats the other week and he wasn't um in the matchday squad so a brilliant result but we shouldn't be surprised if they're going to, you know, got loftier ambitions and just need to improve in those home games. And um, can I have my say on Mark, right? Yeah. I completely agreement with Clarkey. and John Yems knows him from the previous spell. So, and knows the family. I think his dad was an agent. So it's not, it's not a sign in. I think that he's been forced into is what I'm trying to say. I think he'd probably have been on board with it. And the other thing I've been thinking about quite often in the last few weeks is someone misses out on that matchday squad, because there's a 34 year old coming in, and there'll be a young professional. Happened to me countless times. Who sat up in the stand, who's devastated that he's not featuring in a, in particular, an FA Cup tie, probably one of the biggest games. He's some of these lads are ever likely to play in against Leeds, and that somewhere along the line doesn't sit very well with me. Yep, good point. Right, last
2: game I want to talk about this week is Tranmere versus Port Vale. Tranmere winning it. By three goals to one. Adrian Sam spoke about the importance of Harrogate's front men there. Tranmere, something similar with Kane Willery and, and James Vaughan, three and three and five in five
4: respectively. It doesn't half help a manager if you've got people up front banging them in. Well, we we said even when they weren't doing well that they had a forward line that that sh- that should be involved with the promotion team, didn't we? I remember I remember us talking about it. We said going forward they've got enough quality. They just need to to sort out the other aspects of their play. Um, But yeah, they're just on a massive roll, aren't they? Great goals as well. I I really liked Spearing's long ball for Woolery to to finish. And and the touch, Sam would have spotted this great first touch from Vaughan inside the box for his first goal. It sort of just created room for him to swivel and finish. So so yeah, class players really at at that level. Um, Five wins on the spin, 16 points from six games. And and Keith Hill's just talking about work rate, work rate, work rate. Everyone just sort of pressing and tackling and and buying into this sort of wave that they're on, really. So yeah, it's it's, it's it must be fun to to play for Tranmere at the moment. And um, I mean, they've come from they've come from the bottom half into the top three in what feels like three weeks, four weeks. I'm sure it must be longer, but but yeah, quite a remarkable rise. Um, can they keep it up? Maybe.
2: Credit therefore, Sam, to Keith Hill. Not a popular appointment with Tranmere supporters as we spoke about at the time, but they're having to eat their words now.
3: Yeah, I think I think so. It's It looked like a, a complete performance. Um, and it shouldn't be any surprise with the team that they've put together. A really strong spine experience, um, the likes of Lloyd and, and Willery, um, helping Vaughan in goal-scoring and creativity stakes as well. So I like the fullbacks as well. I think Khan... It has not been a fullback before in his career. He's looking, revitalising that position as is McDonald. Um, they carry uh, a threat as well going forward. So there's real energy in the team. But on the other side of the coin, it's a, a really difficult moment for Port Vale. If we think back to back end of last season, they could have been one of the teams, if it hasn't have been prematurely cut short, the division could have been making their way into the playoffs. So, it's been a real nosedive from them. Probably a good time for Tranmere to be playing them without a, a manager. So yeah, big I suppose it's a big few months for, for Port Vale because they were in complete no man's land, had an upturn under the new ownership, and um have really tailed off again. So yeah, need a little bit of um need a little bit of help, I think, probably above playing level um from the owner in appointing a new gaffer.
2: Abby, let's get some odds League Two wise then. How's the promotion market looking with Paddy Power?
1: Even though Cambridge topped the table, they're actually the fifth favourites for promotion, 13 to 10. Favourites are Carlisle, 2 to 5, and Forest Green, 8 to 11. And uh, I find it's a bit um, peculiar that Newport are evens with uh, Cheltenham at 11 to 10 to round up uh, the top five there in League Two. If you, go, if you want to go for a winner, Car- Carlisle are the favourites, 2 to 1, Forest Green, 9 to 2.
2: Great. Thanks, Abby. Right, just about out of time for this week. I'm going to spring this on my three pundits now. You know we always like to end with something mega serious. Well, Abby and I really struggled to come up with something um, of interest this week until about an hour ago when I noticed that Jackie Weaver, star of the Hanforth Parish Council Zoom meeting, had been made into a cake by somebody who makes cakes. So it begs the obvious question, who in the EFL would you like to make into a cake? and why um, I'll give you a few seconds to, to think by telling you that my choice would be Neil Warnock because then I could cut off his nose to spite his face um, that was just one that, that, that just sprung to mind for me it'd be a big cake as well wouldn't it which would be good because he has got quite a big head um, <laughs> Sam anybody spring to mind immediately you'd like to see in cake form
3: no <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go for Neil Warnock Weirdly, first person that came to mind just because I think he'd be quite he'd be quite easy to do coming from someone who made their first banana bread last week and burnt it. So, um, no idea. Ch- Charlie Austin, I'll do just because uh, I think the detail on his weird peroxide barnet wheeling away in the famous blue and white would be uh, something that's probably it's probably we've probably got the recipe in the house already for a QPR goal scorer.
2: Yeah, could be sort of Battenberg style as well with the hooped kit, I guess, as well. Michael, you look like you've got one.
3: Yeah, I've got mine. Mine would be uh,
5: Wesley Houlihan because you wouldn't have to worry about it going out of date. It would just taste better and better
4: (laughs) the longer you left
2: it. (laughs) Yeah,
4: that is excellent. Clarky, that's piled the pressure on you. I've got nothing. I don't even know what we're (laughs) talking about here. Um, I mean players or managers as cakes it just I just don't really get it but yeah I could, I could probably tuck into an extra large uh, Steve Evans if, if that helps <laughs> uh, Very good uh,
2: That's just about it for this week Many thanks to Sam, Adrian, Michael and producer Abby, George and Ali back with Extra Time on Thursday We'll catch you same time next week Until then from all of us here Farewell
1: You've been listening to The Totally Football League Show part of The Athletic Podcast Network Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at The totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a money news Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
7: Hi, I'm James McNicholas and I'm here to tell you about the latest series of Beyond the Headline, the making of Big Sand.
4: If I did anything wrong, why did they pay me off?
7: You see, Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football, and English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? To answer those questions and many more, you'll hear from former Hull City manager Phil Brown.
4: He didn't mind having the crack, he didn't mind having the banter, but he would would prove his way was the right way.
7: Dundee United manager Mickey Mellon. I seen for some holidays, really. And of course, Father Joe Young, owner of Limerick FC, where the Big Sam story began. Now I said, Sam, this is the ultimate goal. Now I'll show you what we have. Then <laughs> I brought him up, and he said, "Jesus, Father Joe, are you serious?" I said, "Look, nothing is impossible to those who believe." You'll learn about his time in America at the Tampa Bay Rowdies, the way he revolutionised English football and, of course, the England debacle. You can hear it all now and ad-free via the Athletic app. Just search for Beyond the Headline now.
2: The Athletic.